The scripture reading for tonight comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, verses 1 through 31. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate the governor. When Judas, his betrayer, saw that he was condemned, he repented and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I've sinned and betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since they are blood money. So they took counsel and brought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he made no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor wondered greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man for I have suffered much over him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the people to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. The word of the Lord. It is um, really hard to preach about the death of Jesus. It's a hard thing to talk about. Not because of the story of, it's the story of God's creation executing God incarnate, and not because 
It's the ultimate tragedy of spilling of innocent blood, the killing of the personification of love, not because it reflects the hopelessness of humanity, our people, that would meet a call to love your neighbor with senseless murder, or the fact that it's this uncomfortable part of our faith, this cornerstone of our faith, is this bloody violence. No, it's hard to preach about the death of Jesus because it's like such a well-known story. It's hard to read because of its familiarity. It's hard to hear because the words just seem to be this repetition. The words sound so commonplace. They've been domesticated. When Debbie was reading, could you even pay attention? It was hard for me. These words sound so commonplace, they, and they just sort of betray the real action in this story, the import of what goes on here. And there is real drama here. And in the past, I've heard sermons, and I will say even preach sermons, that try to resurrect the drama, the import of what's being played out here by describing in depth the suffering that Jesus undergoes the particular kind of lash that is used by the Romans and what it will do to the flesh when it tears at it and what it feels like to have a particular sharp kind of thorn be um, shoved onto your head and how it cuts into your skull and the blood. And it goes on and on and on like this. Just uh, think of Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. It's almost like the goal of preaching about the death of Jesus is to make people feel like really sad and really bad for Jesus. To understand how much being tortured and executed really hurts. So let me just get it out of the way and tell you, I think it really hurts. I mean, it really, 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 really hurts. Hurts bad. You know, because like in the past, I've had this feeling that if I can't work myself or you into some sort of emotional response to this death of Jesus, then I don't really love Jesus enough, or I don't even really care that he was tortured and executed. I mean, when these kind of sermons can like turn into some kind of torture pornography designed to emotionally manipulate people, which, while that's fun... I don't think it's very helpful. So, in order to avoid this impulse here today, I've decided to recount this story to you in the most bland way possible. But after making that decision, I did read this text again, and I actually noticed something in it and got kind of fascinated with it. Well, with the blood in it. There's blood in this story. There is a lot of talk about blood here and echoes of blood. And I got particularly interested in these characters and their relationship to the blood. Pilate, the Roman governors, and the crowds, and how blood is used to talk about guilt and innocence and redemption. And then it occurred to me another reason why it's so hard to preach about the death of Jesus. It's like about everything. It's like I have to tell you all of Christian theology, explain it all, and then you just get some kind of lecture, which there are probably people who would give it better than me. It's hard to preach about the death of Jesus. 
So I will just recount some observations I have about this particular story and maybe about the blood involved in it. So first of all, you have Jesus is arrested, right? And he's sent by the Jewish religious leaders to Pilate, the Roman governor, to be put to death. And when Judas finds this out, Judas who helped them arrest him, he is so overwhelmed with guilt, he goes and he tries to return the money that they paid him. Um, He says, Judas says, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. And they tell him, well, like, that's your problem. And they won't take the money back. So Judas throws down the money on the temple floor, and he goes and he hangs himself. And then they take the money, and they say, you know, we can't, this is blood money, we can't put it in the treasury. But it was okay to take it out of the treasury to pay Judas? I don't know. So they buy a field with it. And the text tells us that this field is now where they bury uh, undesirables, the unrighteous, foreigners. And to this day, it's known as the field of blood. So Pilate, the Roman governor, he takes the prisoner Jesus and he questions him. And Pilate, he seems a little perplexed about this whole thing. He asks him, he says, "Uh, are you the king of the Jews? Uh, Because this is some, like, this is the charge that the Jewish leaders have, I think, told them to make it seem like Jesus is some kind of uh, rebel or has taken on some authority that only belongs to Rome. So he's committed some crime against Rome. And Jesus replies to that question, are you the king of the Jews, with kind of an odd reply. He says, you say so. It's sort of the strange response because, well, when I read it, it makes me wonder what the author is up to here. Because it makes it almost seem like Pilate is confessing, is confessing that Jesus is the king of the Jews. In fact, in this whole scene, Pilate's treatment, the way the author treats Pilate, is kind of odd to me, because he comes off looking kind of good. I mean, this is an instrument of the Roman Empire who has no problem putting innocent people to death. But somehow he looks good here. He... uh, You know, he questions him, and he's like, I can't find anything wrong with him, so he's going to let him go. He tells the people, look, I'm going to let one of these guys go here. This guy, I see nothing wrong with him, this Jesus, so who do you want? And the crowd wants the other guy. He goes, no, come on, really, this guy, nothing's wrong with him. And they're like, no, we want the other guy. And even then, Pilate's wife comes to him and said, I had a dream. Someone came to me in a dream and told me that you should not have this man's blood on your hands. So even like God is coming to Pilate's wife and talking to him to try and save this Jesus. Like the Roman Empire is made to look good here. It's just, I don't understand it. And the crowd, the Jewish crowd, his people, they, they come off looking really kind of bad. They are the one begging, begging Pilate to crucify, to murder, to kill Jesus. And Pilate then in this Scene, he washes his hands and says, this man's blood is not on my hands. And the crowd screams out together, let his blood be on us and our children. This is horrifying. The Jewish people saying, let his blood be on us and our people. This in the history of interpretation um, has been known sometimes as the blood curse. This blood curse 
the Jewish people calling for the blood of Jesus, murdered Jesus, to be on them has been used to explain why in 70 that Rome wiped out all of Jerusalem. It's been used to explain why any horrible thing up to including the Holocaust has happened to Jewish people. Because of this, they have cursed themselves. I don't think that that's what this can be about. That's not what this is about. It's a misreading because this is not a Roman story. This is a Jewish story, and the, reference in, the references in it are Jewish reference. When they cry out, let this blood be on us and our children, the author is putting in their mouths the means for their own salvation. Because when Moses reads the covenant to the people, at the end, he takes and sacrifices this lamb and sprinkles that blood on the people. And that seals the covenant with them. So you can see this, in a way, this author is having this new covenant being sealed with this blood of Jesus through this sacrifice. But I'm not really that comfortable even with the sacrifice in here. I want something different. I don't want this traditional idea that Jesus needs to be sacrificed for our own, for our sins and for, to seal any kind of covenant for the Jews or for all people. I think that this is just murder. But they call for this blood to be upon them. And so I think to myself, is there any place that we can find where there is blood that does not require sacrifice, that does not require the taking of life? And I thought of John, the Gospel of John, and I thought of Jesus saying to Nicodemus that you must be born again. And there is blood in birth. And maybe it's that kind of blood, not the blood of sacrifice, but the blood of birth. And that this really is something new that is going on here. That God really is transforming death and turning it instead into rebirth. When Jesus is dying on the cross, he finally says, it is finished. And I can't help but hearing that as the total and complete transformation of death into a new kind of birth for everyone. And then the soldiers take and they pierce his side, and out from his side pours blood and water, as if coming out of the birth canal, and covers all the Jews and their children and all of us and gives us this rebirth. 